0: The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode
1: 257 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast alongside Craig
2: Morgan. Will the last Coyotes employee please turn out the lights?
1: And Jamie Eisner,
2: I'm
0: back.
1: That's, uh, I'm Luke Lipinski, and I apologize to all of you, other than Gilbert Anthony, for the return of Jamie Eisner, who looks very smug in his return. Jamie, we'll, let's pretend that we missed you for the last few weeks. How have you been? Okay,
0: cool. Uh, I've right. been busy. Oh, okay. No, cool. bad. no bad. No, give us your life story. Uh, uh, well, it started. No, I've been, it's been busy. Football season's getting here, and it's, it's coming with a fury. Uh, so it's been, it's been a little bit tough. But between that and then preparing to move and all that other fun stuff, it's been. Uh,
2: wait, 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 wait!
0: What? I've already revealed. I've revealed uh, this on the podcast. Come this on, this give us the
2: details now. Give us the this, details. This is uh
0: Chicago South Loop, all October. Right. Good. good. so, okay, I am, so I'm walking. Okay. F- no, wait. So I'm walking from the record for in most Chicago? hundred. And, no, not oh. yet. I will be. Uh, I'll be walking from the record of most 110 plus degree days in Arizona history right into a Chicago winter. It's not quite.
2: October can be a good month. So you know you'll get one month. You'll get one month. And it'll rain all of November. December will just be kind of dead and brown. And then January and February and March will be absolutely
0: miserable and horribly cold.
1: Chicago, that's uh, that's Stan Bowman country, isn't it?
0: It is. Yes, it is. I'll be a stone's throw (laughs) from Soldier Field uh, so I can can watch the Bears implode this year with their quarterback situation. I
2: like the location. I like the location. That's good. It's a great city. stone's throw really is is a great city.
1: Just further than Mitch Trubisky could throw a football, so you're just out of his range. You
2: know, this is paining me, and and I had to listen to you guys talking fantasy football before we started. So let's get to hockey, please. All right.
0: We we have fans of the Natty Hattie podcast that DM me and ask me fantasy football questions. So there is is plenty of crossover. That's good. Let let them do that on their own time.
1: It's because they think you're Jamie Eisenberg. There,
0: There are people who still think that, and I'll take it.
1: Yeah. You know what, Craig, how do you feel about replacing Jamie Eisner with Jamie Eisenberg? I'd be all for that, actually. I he think that like, would help. I think that would help the profile of our show. Oh, absolutely. Does five podcasts a week and he knows what he's talking about. All right. Wow. That, that felt like Oof. That, was, that was just hurtful. Oof. Okay. I didn't say this Jamie doesn't know. I just said that Jamie does. Well, it was implied or I inferred it at least. Um, let's start with the uh, the news from late last week the NHL took a couple days to pause with all the uh, the, the social justice issues going on um, you know it ultimately I think made the most sense for the NBA to do it because they very clearly had a, a reason and a direction for why they were doing it but baseball and, and the NHL jumped in over the next couple days as well and look I totally support it um, it's not like they canceled the season they pushed it back a couple days uh, and I uh, on some level i almost um i have to appreciate their commitment to it even more because i have to think the players are probably sick of being in the bubble at this point so just sitting around for a couple days and you know it sounds like they made good use of the time and and sort of got more aware of all the issues and everything i mean again i go back to the nba the nba took it to the next level of i think a lot of people are a lot more aware now than they were 6 months ago the nba pushed for actual tangible change and more opportunities for people to vote and, you know, all that stuff. It just doesn't need to be a political podcast, but it was certainly a big part of the sports landscape last week.
2: Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I, I know that the NHL was facing a lot of criticism for not doing it immediately, but it takes time to organize those things. I, I felt like it was up to them one way or the other, to be honest, they made the decision to do it. I don't have criticism for, I don't know why People have a problem with this. I, I just don't get why people have a problem with this. They made the decision to do it. It's their decision. Their decision alone. I support it. I think it's a good thing. But we're back to playing now. I, I don't know. Hey, go ahead, Jamie. I, I can see you're about to
0: talk. <laughs> well, it, it's more better late than better late than never. Yeah, uh, but I think okay. that on that front, look, the reality is, is when it comes to these these specific social issues, the NHL is always going to be behind. And it's the demographics of the NHL, the socioeconomic status of the NHL is just different. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not I'm not excusing it, but it's also it's different. And when there's issues that are more front of mind for players, the average NHL player than. MLB or NBA or NFL I mean they're they're that's this yep. is where those demographics play in I'm glad they did something I'm glad they didn't stick their head in the sand and pretend like they like they've used to where it's just like stick their fingers in their ear and oh you know la 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 there's no problem here we're just gonna go on right. uh, and I'm glad that they did and I'm glad that players t- took a stand uh, you know particularly some players from the Dallas Stars as well they've been pretty consistent throughout this process like Tyler Sagan but uh, I don't know. Again, I, I can't be critical. I understand in the moment it felt a little weird at the time as MLB was canceling – certain MLB teams were canceling their games, as the NBA was canceling their games, the WNBA was canceling their games to have hockey go on like nothing happened. But they course-corrected pretty quickly the next day there. So I, yeah. don't, I don't know how you can be heavily critical of, of, of that.
2: Right. That, and then the, the sight of all the players at the podium too. That was that was a pretty cool yeah. visual. Go ahead, that's Sorry.
1: that's a great no. I mean that's a great point. I, I like that the way they did it was Ryan Reeves sort of took the lead, and as the story goes, Kevin Shattenkirk got a hold of him, and they're not even in the same bubble, not on the same team or anything. And was like, "How do we do this?" And, and you know, to your point, Craig, people are going to be upset that they that they paused for two days. People are also upset that they didn't pause instantly. I mean, if you go back to that day, you know, Milwaukee Bucks didn't necessarily tell even the other NBA teams, even the poor Orlando Magic that were warming up for that game that that they were going to do what they did and you know the Flyers and Islanders game had already started that day and the Bruins lightning game was pretty close to starting so to me if, if you're looking at that first day and saying they should have stopped something right there it really would have just been the Colorado Dallas game they right. didn't but like Jamie said they corrected quickly the next day and, and it seemed it seemed genuine when they did it it didn't seem like a PR stunt because the players were sort of leading the way and and that to me is the most important
0: thing. And I think two points I want to make on this. One, in totality across the sports world, it needs to be clear. that It is the players that are making these decisions. The leagues are reacting, and in some cases better than others, but they're reacting to the situation. It's the players that are really forcing the hand here. And two, when it comes to that that, that lineup at the podium, I think that is what I was really encouraged about because it felt like earlier in the postseason, uh, with that really good speech that Matt Dumba gave, that it felt like he was out there on an island. Like it felt like he was out there and everybody else. They were supportive, but it was like it was it was Matt Dumba and then everybody else. Yep. This felt like a more collective effort, which I think was really encouraging. And again, I think I think the NHL got this right in the end. Like like I I don't know if anything would have been they could have done better or changed any differently by canceling one of the games at the end of at the end of the first night. Like we said, they course corrected. Uh, I like the statement that they came out with, and and I encouraged all the players. I'm encouraged by all the players that actually, uh, of all races, of all levels of play, of all levels of age, coming together on that podium there. Because I think that that message is is as important as anything else. Is that we're not letting one or two or three players, particularly in the NHL, where again the demographics are heavily Caucasian. A lot of you know it, it just it is what it is. You have to avoid that temptation to just let one or two or three players on an island be supportive and be outspoken. It needs to be a collective effort. And I like that step forward that the angel took with and that then, statement at the podium.
2: And then Dale Tallon ru- ruined it all. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Or, I, or so we've heard. <laughs> yeah. I don't even really know what the – yeah. <laughs> I don't either. I, I mean, I don't know that that warrants much discussion, but it's just – it you know, the, the reports that you hear that – wow. Really? Well, I mean,
1: this is, I know people want an escape and this is going to be a playoff podcast, but I would just say this in closing on this topic. I mean, if you think of where the NHL was a year ago, even, you know, and and what has changed in the last year, and we talked about this, I believe even last summer, maybe it was two summers ago, you know, my, it it doesn't take a genius to look and say, okay, the NBA has a lot more African-American players than the NHL. It's not difficult to figure that out. My stance on it, the the more I talk to African-American players in the NHL and other just players around the league or people around the league it's not so much a malicious intentional discrimination so much as just sort of obliviousness. And, and, you know, we've, we've gone into this in the past where, you know, hockey in a lot of ways is a rich person sport and it cuts a lot of people of all races out of the game and it's something they have to fix. But when you look at the actual malicious stuff, whether it's Don Cherry or Bill Peters, or maybe the stuff with Dale Talon, I mean, a lot has changed in the last year, not to say the league or the sport is anywhere near where it needs to be, but <laughs> it is crazy to think of where this league was 12 months ago, because even though 12 months ago right now in 2020 feels like 700 years ago, it wasn't. Wow. All right. Everybody just stopped. You guys still Philadelphia just scored. Is that why you guys just stopped? Um, all right. The Flyers scored. So I'm unhappy and don't want to do any more of the show, but we're going (laughs) to anyway, we're going to press on. Let's get into some of these series. Uh, let's start with Boston and Tampa and guys refresh my memory. I, I, (laughs) I'm worried that Apple we may one. have all picked the same team. Th- Thank you.
0: <laughs> did we all pick the same winners in all these series? No, we did I, not. I don't uh, know. I, I, set, I set mine in when you guys were talking, like, anonymously. I wasn't even part of it. I don't even know who you guys picked. Anonymously? anonymously. Wait. anonymously. Not anonymously that's, that's not that's the the will be
2: troublesome because, you know,
0: <laughs> no, that, <laughs> somebody that's a needs word to there. know.
1: <laughs> you know when I, you put your name on something, it's not anonymous, right, Jamie?
0: That's true. Um,
1: I took the Islanders, so – in this
0: series? In Tampa, Boston? Right, Tampa, Boston? No, 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 no. What? No, that's no, what we're no, talking no. about. Oh, we're I thought you were say saying in all the crap. series.
2: I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about all the series. But no, yeah.
0: Luke yeah. kind of did. We're all confused now. Luke confused us all. But in, all no, right. I think we all, we all took Tampa, right? Yes. Let's start things. with that. Let's go one um, series at a time, Luke. Let's, that's let's what crawl I was,
1: before we walk. I said. Tampa Bay and Boston. Who did you guys take? Um, did Tampa anybody Bay. take Tampa in five? I, don't, I think I took them in seven.
0: I did as well. Seven. Yeah.
1: What's, um, is, is this not an indictment on the Bruins? I mean, they've been really good for a long time, but for this series to end in five games, was that more of a Boston just kind of ran out of gas, which is weird after four months off, or is Tampa finally figuring it out? Because to me, It sort of seems like the latter. And I do think Pasta was probably more hurt than we all realized. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely
2: think Pasta was hurt. You could see that at times when he was on the bench. Even after he scored that goal, he was grimacing. There's something wrong there. But beyond that... Boston didn't have the depth that I thought they had. At least it didn't show yeah, up in yeah. this series. And that was really surprising to me. And maybe Tampa Bay had a lot to do with that. They're, they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. And even without Steven Stamkos, they're, they're doing this. It's, it's remarkable. And, and maybe this is just the response to last year. We've talked about this a lot, how much this has fueled them, having lost that series last year after that incredible regular season. But they do look like a team that's playing at another level right now.
0: Yeah, that that's why I lean to as well. This is more about Tampa winning than Boston losing. Uh, the depth that Boston typically has, and we saw in the regular season, just did not show up in this series. And like you said, not only does Tampa Bay win without Stamkos, they win without Kucherov for the majority of Game Five. Um, if you include those overtime periods as well, so th- th- this is the peak lightning. Like this is yeah. what we always expect from Tampa in the regular season from October to April. This is what we expect Tampa to do to even really good teams. It just hasn't translated in the last couple of years into the postseason. I guess maybe they just need to start playing in August and September to really get things going, but they're, I mean, they're really scary right now. I mean, to win, win four straight in the manner that they did with the injuries they've suffered, if they can get healthy and get by likely the Islanders. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a really, really, three one flyers right now, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Philadelphia could certainly come back in that series. I don't think they will. But sticking with Tampa for a second, this is this is one of those stats that I think everybody just sort of forgets. This is their fourth trip to the conference final in the last six years. Mm-hmm. So as much as yeah. they were, you know, an embarrassing exit last year getting swept in the first round after that crazy season to get swept by the eighth seed in Columbus and the year before, to just, I know they didn't they quit, quit, but, they, looked but they, like they, they, quit. they
0: look like they quit. But that was we the watched conference it. final. Yeah, yeah, no, we did. We you, watched it at Yard house. You and I watched it together at a yard, at at the bar at Yard House at Desert Ridge and could not fathom what was happening to this Tampa Bay Lightning's team in Game 7 who by the way quit late in Game 6. Yeah. Like but, it wasn't like it just started. Like it and then that debacle against Columbus last year, it just I'm glad they finally got over that hump because the talent level is too great. And and quite frankly, this is a team that in the the broad scheme of things and I know there's kind of There's kind of like the two different eras of this team. There is the Steven Stamkos in his prime team that lost to the Blackhawks in the cup final era, and then there's kind of the more modern era, even though they kind of run together in that stretch that you talk about. feels like two separate teams. Coming out of this stretch, which they still need to do. They still have to win eight more hockey games. But coming out of this stretch without a cup would have felt like a massive disappointment for a team that has accumulated as much talent as they have and been able to keep everybody together.
2: Yeah, and they're yeah. going to have a tough time still when they get to the cup final, whoever they play in, oh, sure. uh, from from the West. But I can't imagine them losing to the Islanders or the Flyers. Uh, so many contributions that, you know, and it's not like these guys aren't household names, but Andre Pallotta is having an unbelievable postseason. Victor Hedman should have won more Norris trophies by now. He, when you watch him, the way he impacts the game, both with the puck and away from the puck, he's just a remarkable player. And then Braden Point, as I put in the notes, sigh, a guy who went in the third round, uh, for a local franchise that we talk about always needing a center he was there he was available and he Certainly is an nice elite right yeah he's an elite player as well tampa is just loaded and these and they're playing like it now they're finally playing like it
1: i want to go back to what you said about headman and jamie we didn't include you on this text thread but craig and i were talking about something oh, cool. we're going to do in, it in happens a few often weeks. <laughs> probably when the season's <laughs> over nice we'll, we'll probably go through and, and make some sort of we're each going to have our top five centers, wings, defensemen, and maybe goalies for the upcoming season. You mean you know, maybe maybe that
2: goalies. That was like a, like an aside there. It was just, was that, uh, what was that? Well, you know, the, you know, I played the position. Well, played is a strong word for what I did, but.
1: Yeah, that's, that's why I brought, that's why okay. I said it in such Thank a way. You. I forgot Thank my you. orange. I was I if Kat orange.
2: Silverman's listening.
1: Okay. If she is, she probably just threw her phone across the room in anger. Um, but the point to that is, I think a lot has changed in those in, in, in each of those rankings over even the last year or so. Victor Hedman, though, I mean, if we're if we're starting a team for just next year, we're not talking about age, contract, you know, what upside of a guy like Miro Heiskanen. Victor Hedman's still my number one defenseman in the NHL, and he's showing it in these playoffs.
2: He is. He's so complete. He's just so complete as a player.
0: Agreed, and I don't think there's much hesitation. Like I think it, that's the number one defenseman, and I don't think you think about it that much
1: but like roman yosi or john carlson's going to win the Nor- john carlson wins the well, north it's going to feel so oh, strange after the playoffs it sure is it
0: so, sure is. so v- victor hedman has got and we've we've talked about this before in the Norris conversation but like victor hedman's kind of got that run of if you had to bet your in everything you owned at the beginning of a season on a player finishing in the top 5 in Norris voting there's no player you would consider before victor hedman yeah like he's always going to be in that conversation he might not win it every year But he's gonna, and he's obviously not gonna win it every year. But he's always in that conversation. He's always gonna be the, the. There'll be the new, exciting. Whether it's whether it's the Carlson, whether it's Carlson K, Carlson C, somebody else coming up. There's always gonna be that option, and it's gonna be versus Victor Hedman. Like that's the conversation we have every single year as long as he's healthy. Craig,
1: you brought up Andre Pallad, who's been just a monster in these playoffs. I mean, when you go back to that year when they were in the Cup against Chicago, and that year it sort of felt like while well, you both took a drink at the same time. Are you guys like are you at a bar together? And I just in don't sync. realize
0: it. I wish. Um,
1: well, Yeah. Remember bars.
0: Um, remember people. Vaguely
1: in person. Uh, the, the year that the Tampa made the cup and lost to Chicago, that was sort of like ahead of schedule. As Jamie said, Steven Stamkos was in his prime, but none of these other guys, triplets. Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat. Yeah, the triplets, Vic, uh, Nikita Kucherov and, and then Victor Hedman. Um, since then, it's really just been Kucherov. Like Tyler Johnson's been all right. Andre pilat has been all right. Andre Pilat has been a monster in these mm. playoffs. They look a lot more like that team from six years ago now.
0: No question. I was going to talk to stopper Eric. again. Oh. <laughs> uh, but know, but no, I mean, it's, yeah, he, he's had a phenomenal postseason run. I, I'm still surprised going back to this because I think Kucherov would have been my third pick of the three, if you asked me way back when, who was going to be the biggest star of that group. And then he is just, I mean, saying he's lapped the other two is not even giving him enough credit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But having again that the, we brought up the depth that we didn't see from Boston in the series, that is the depth we have seen from Tampa Bay, and that's something that they've they've been able to do for years and years. Aside from that six game playoff run starting in Game Six against the Capitals in the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago, where they just completely you know you know what the bed every yeah. other time that has been a huge staple of why they've been so successful and why they've been able to overcome multiple Stamkos injuries over multiple seasons.
1: I, I will also say to that addition of Blake Coleman midseason, you know, it's it's a fine line you walk as a GM because you don't want to add a guy that doesn't fit what you're doing; otherwise, it's just a waste of a move. But you also, you know, if you're a team like Tampa that keeps getting to the playoffs but not going as far as you should, you do need to add a piece that's missing. And he was he was just the right addition. He wasn't already like all the players they have, but he was able to fit in seamlessly, and they just. I mean, they are doing this without Steven Stamkos. Like, think about that. Stamkos hasn't played a single game in these playoffs. Right. And Tampa's beat. And they just made very short work of Boston. You don't do that unless you're doing a lot right. And the other thing about this team, they're winning games in overtime in these playoffs. If you want to win the cup, you have to win playoff games in overtime.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you bring in uh, bring up the uh, trade deadline acquisitions or the, the the additions to the team because when you flip it over and look at what Boston did, we all liked their moves at the time. But Nick Ritchie. Oof. Yeah, he was so he, he he was a detriment to them in the postseason. He took yeah. bad penalties. He just was not a good player. And and when I look at this Bruins group now, you know we talk about Tampa. Jamie just mentioned that if they hadn't, if they don't win a cup, it's going to feel like a disappointment. I still can't believe that this Bruins collection may just win one cup, and it 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 feels like. This is the end of the line in, in many ways. Zdeno Char obviously is, is in doubt at this point. This is the first time the Bruins have, actually haven't offered him a contract extension before the season ended. It feels like it's the end for him. We know some of their key players are getting a little older. Is this Bruins team just going to start to decline now? And, and wow, what happened to the blue line, by the way, in, in this series?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, don't, I still think Boston's going to be a dangerous team next year. But yeah, I mean, you look at when they won that cup now, we're, we're going almost a decade ago. I mean, yep. the guys that were there, Marshawn was there, Bergeron was there, Chara, but for the most part, the rest of these guys, uh, David Krejci's been playing since the early 1800s, so he was there too, but most of these guys that are on this team currently that should have won the cup last year, if not for a terrible line change, and were the best team in the, the regular season this year, it might be the end of the line for this group because a guy like Tori Krug's a UFA, and yeah. we don't know what's up with Chara, and Greslick's an RFA, and Jake Debrusk is an RFA. I mean, there's, yeah. this team's not going to look quite the same next
0: year. Yep. Yeah, and they, don't, they lack the depth down the middle that they had before. And, and I think even though they have the same guys there, like David Krejci is still fine, he's serviceable, but he is not the player he was two years ago. I mean, when, when he was operating at that 65, 70-point pace alongside Patrice Bergeron playing all the tough minutes, it, it's, it was a huge advantage to that team. You know, Charlie Corral's fine, but, like, you start to look at the key points that we always talk about with these teams, and their they're centered up is okay, and their defensive depth is okay. Like, those are no longer major pillars of strength for this Boston team. Now, they've been they've been fortunate to have somebody like David Pasternak, who's going to be an MVP conversation at least in the next several years. And Marchand's really been playing at a high level, but we've seen that even with elite wings, if you're nothing special down the middle and nothing special on your blue line, you're not, you're not going to, it's going to be difficult to take that step to becoming a winning a conference and winning a cup. They were still a damn good team this year. They're going to be a damn good team next year. They've got two goaltenders that they really like. And, you know, I know Tuka Rask has unfortunately gotten some criticism uh for opting out in, in in the wake of boston being eliminated here but right? i don't think we need to touch on that idiocy yeah um but well, other than to say a
1: he had a good reason and b goaltending's not why they
0: lost no halak was fine but again just to me it's it's, it's still gonna be there's still gonna be a good team we're nitpicking here and they, they lost to another elite team but all of the the warts that craig brought up and that you brought up luke are going to be present like that blue line could look very different next year they're you know their center group is not getting any younger like all of a sudden those huge advantages they had over the rest of the conference and the rest of the league in a lot of cases aren't huge advantages anymore so they've become a very solid team but they're not this elite unit that they appeared to be especially early in the season last year patrice Er bergeron
2: was not a Patricia Bergeron was not a difference maker in this series either. I think he no. had two points, two assists, and he was just kind of okay. He was just kind of there and that was that was pretty surprising to me and i've been wondering for a long time and I, i'm not i 'm not saying that one series shows it, but i've been wondering for a long time when he's going to show his age when we 're going to start seeing some slowdown in a player who's just been so remarkably consistent on both sides of the buck for so long it's going to happen really soon and it, Boy, the Boston's in trouble because when those those guys age, when those guys move on out, I'm not sure they have the pieces to be a good team anymore. You're going
1: to be a mess whenever Patrice Bergeron retires because I know Jamie has that giant Leon Dreisaitl tattoo on his back, but – Bergeron is definitely Craig Morgan's favorite player in the NHL, isn't he? Just the way he plays the game.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I just I didn't see a flaw in his game. And, and there were times where he didn't produce at an elite level offensively, and he probably was underrated because of that. But how many guys are better defensively than him over the course of their career? He impacts the game in so many ways. Yeah, he's a fantastic player. It would be, it would be tough to watch him in decline, but I, I think it's coming. I think it's coming soon. Uh, We're
1: going to get into Coyote stuff after we get through these series real quick before we move on to the next one. Where do you
2: see Zdeno Chara next year back with the Bruins still in the league or retired? I don't know. I really don't know. And he was he was noncommittal on anything when he was interviewed right after the series ended. He just he's going to take some time to think about it. He's not sure.
1: Uh, let's skip Islanders flyers for a second. Cause that, that game is about to wrap up. So well, the Islanders just scored. So it's three, two. So maybe it's not about to wrap up. Let's, uh, let's, let's come back. i to just and took
2: a stick to the face. Uh, he, he's bleeding. So that <laughs> that's I not a good play too. Ooh.
1: Now, see, I want to go watch this. Um, let's skip ahead to Colorado and Dallas, two of the strangest teams in this entire tournament. Colorado looked so good in the, the round robin and so good, obviously, against the Coyotes, and so good last night facing elimination down 3-1 with their third-string goalie. But there have been stretches in this series where they have just looked miserable. And Dallas, they're a lot better than I thought they were at the start of this year. I'll say that.
2: I just don't well, know where the offense offensively. came from. Yeah, I don't know where that came I, from. I don't get it no idea that's Uh, the difference
1: yeah i mean you expect them to be uh, back in september october you expect dallas to be winning a lot of boring two-to-one games they are not a boring team
0: no they suffocated you they 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 played solid defense they got elite goaltending from whoever they put in net whether it was bishop or hoodobin and they scored just enough to get by like they they were like the better version of the minnesota wild like they were the minnesota Wild with more talent like and, and that's how they won games and I thought, especially considering the way that they played in the in the round robin round, I was like, Oh, oh this team oh, is gonna um, Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I just watched the goal. I, I, Luke, are you like uh,
2: are you ahead of all of us?
0: Are you in like oh, some no, you're future behind. time? Okay. Oh, oh. You, the Brock Nelson got No, yeah, no, you you're way behind. That updated like on my score app. What what
2: I don't get about Dallas, when you, when you do this over such a consistent period of time, over the entire regular season, and then we saw what they did in the round-robin play, too. Granted, some teams didn't seem fully engaged. This is not a team that's had offense for the past couple seasons. So where is this coming from? I mean, Rick Bonus has talked about how they're making more offense out of the way they play defense. They're getting guys up into the rush. Okay, but... Didn't you think of that before? Wasn't wasn't that an effort before? Why is it suddenly working now? It's crazy to see this.
1: the uh, The job Rick Bonus has done when you consider he had to step in mid season and take over a team he didn't expect to have to take over and, and kept them good throughout the regular season and and yeah, obviously switch something up in these playoffs where now they are a team that you never feel like they're beat. I mean, they can be down three nothing. We've seen them come back and win that game seven to three. But uh, the decision to go with Ben Bishop in game five, when everything, I know hindsight's 2020 20, but you're cruising past Colorado. I don't fully understand making a change right then when if Bishop, if you really feel like Bishop's ready, why wouldn't you just bring him back to start the Western Conference final? Or look, if Hudobin goes out there and plays terribly in game five, then maybe you try it in game six. You don't, you don't want to be switching in game seven. I get that. But uh, wow, did that ever backfire last night.
2: Yeah, and and maybe we may look back on this and say, okay, they had a they had a decent lead in the series. Maybe it was okay, but with a team like Colorado, man, I don't know about giving that team any kind of momentum, any any kind of good feeling about themselves because they are explosive. They can really hit you hard, and we'll see. We'll see. Now, I just I didn't get it either. I didn't think it made any sense.
0: Yeah, that's right, Matt. Too, like I I don't understand why you have a hot goalie. You've been playing well. I understand mm -hmm. Ben Bishop's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't just don't think you ever move on from a hot goalie in that moment. And you can never consider a a series just in hand, regardless of opponent. And again, my concern is that the Islanders, a just tied the game and B uh, (laughs) my concern. My concern there is mostly from a don't give any momentum. Colorado. I still think is the better hockey team on paper. It's I just don't give that team enough momentum. And they're the I team mean, that I, can
1: come back from down 3-1. Yes. 100% they, they can come they back.
0: absolutely can. Now, goaltending is going to still be a problem. I mean, they're, they're, they're on Michael Hutchinson and <laughs> and, and, and like, whoever they pulled out of the stands most recently. But it's – Hunter I mean, Miska had to
1: drive from Minnesota to Edmonton, Dude. like between games one and two or something. He's the backup. It's,
2: it's not. I, I remember If you guys remember, Ryan Clark talked about this before the playoffs even started. What a – just a revolving door the Avalanche has been in goal since Patrick Waugh retired in terms of the playoffs philip grubar was their second career leader in terms of victories in the postseason which is crazy to think about and now they're in this situation again it's yeah it's a real problem for that franchise maybe they want uh maybe they want to get a hold of a you know a a number one goaltender who may be on the block this summer (laughs) i don't like where this is headed uh nathan Nathan mckinnon
0: McKinnon for anti-ranta who says no
2: uh yeah (laughs) <laughs> the, the Coyotes would not say no, but that is no, never happening count. because Nathan McKinnon is maybe the
0: best player in the NHL. Might be but the best player. Is, in the NHL. is he? Like, let's talk about that right now. Is If you're starting a franchise. Let's, I will
2: talk about it if you say in your voice, you know. You know I'm from Cold
0: Harbor. That's it. Exactly. Thank you. I think. It, all right, so if you consider contracts, I think it's absolutely 100 yeah. percent. No doubt. Nate McKinnon. He's, He's making, making less than they, I do. Now let's pretend that it's well. the same. <laughs> now let's <laughs> pretend it's the same contract. Is it him or McDavid?
1: If if you're telling me again, if you're telling me just for next year. I still think McDavid can do things that nobody else in the NHL can do, but it, Nathan McKinnon is undeniably a a better all around player than Connor McDavid. I, I mean, I, I don't know how you can watch the two of them play, and that's not a knock on McDavid, who I, I absolutely think the two, is go the down two best two players in play hockey. The whole time.
2: Like we're yeah. splitting
1: hairs, but I mean, McKinnon is is just better all around right now. If you. I, Connor McDavid is the one that if he's on TV, I have to watch that game. And I think ultimately he's going to go down as one of the five best players in NHL history. I don't know if McKinnon will do that. But if you're talking about just I'm building my team for next year, I'm probably taking McKinnon, especially with the playoff experience he's getting. He's got a point in every game.
2: He's going to he's gonna, he's gonna be in the postseason a lot, and he's going to put up a lot of points in the postseason over the course of his career. I don't know. He might go down as one of the greatest players of all time. What, what strikes me about that when you compare the two of them, McDavid does things with his speed. He creates so many so many opportunities with his speed. Eddie Olchek was the one who said to me, I've never seen a player who seems to accelerate when they have the puck. It's hard to do, but he does it. So he makes so many things happen off of his speed. McKinnon is more like a bull. He will just wheel his way to the net. And then we, we saw what he did defensively against the Coyotes. I mean, he's back defensively. He's so fast. He's so good through the neutral zone both ways. And, and by the way, I, I was going to bring this up. I looked up points per game leaders all time in the postseason. He's number 4 all time. Two guys ahead of him, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, along yeah. with Barry okay. Peterson.
0: Yeah. If, I think how much better it's going to be next year when he's when he has a line with Taylor Hall. Like it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. That's
1: just rude. But 13 consecutive playoff games with at least a point. And let's be fair here. Most of these games, he's putting up two, three, sometimes four points. It's not like he's just squeaking by with a late secondary assist on an empty net goal by somebody else. He's the center of everything for a team that, regardless of what they do against Dallas, they're probably my pick next year to win the Cup. I mean, my my pick, and I think you guys may have been very similar to this, if not identical, at the start of these playoffs was Vegas-Tampa, and at the start of the year was Vegas to win the Cup. Um, but Colorado heading into next year, even if they can't come back from this, uh, this deficit against Dallas, they're on the very short list next year. I know, I know they were Jamie's number one pick to start this year.
0: <laughs> and we're getting yeah. overtime by the way, in Islanders flyers. Yeah. Nice so we'll have to prolong that conversation just a little bit longer.
1: Okay. Well, of course the other part of this series, and we're seeing two of the best young defensemen in the NHL on display, two guys that actually went back to back in the 2017 draft. <laughs> Tell you what, if you're Philadelphia or New Jersey, and you took Nico Heishir and Nolan Patrick, nothing against those guys. Um, Patrick hasn't lived up to it yet; he's had the injuries and stuff. Uh, Heishir hasn't looked up to the number one billing yet. But uh, Miro Heiskanen going third, and Kale McCarr going fourth that year. And actually, I believe Elias Pettersson went fifth. And then the rest of that draft, other than like one or two guys, other than like Kyler Yamamoto, has been pretty uh, pretty dry so far. But those two, they're the front runners. For the uh, the best young defenseman in the NHL, I know Quinn Hughes because he plays for Vancouver is the greatest thing ever, but he hasn't looked like it in the playoffs.
2: No, uh, here's a I reached out to a combination of scouts, executives, and coaches, twelve of them to be exact, and asked this simple question: Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, or Miro Heiskanen? Who you got? Okay. Ten of the ten of the twelve took Heiskanen. Yeah, right. one one took McCarr. None took Hughes. Several noting Quinn Hughes can't defend. And and who, was it,
0: wait, who was the the twelfth one then? I'm sorry. Was there no vote for one? There was no vote. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh. I don't know. Tough, tough pick.
2: Tough, oh, hit, my, tough to I, call. No. Yeah.
0: That that's yeah. That's
2: yeah. With anonymity. Come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Listen, I, don't, I don't think that's a, a gotcha question.
2: Like, no, oh. <laughs> no, no. Maybe maybe fearful that I would use it. I don't know. But that's that's pretty telling, isn't it? And 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 yeah. the, the overriding analysis of this is that. Heishkinen impacts the game just as much without the puck as he does with it, and that's true. When you watch him play, he is a complete player. Neither of the other guys can say that. I think Makar has made strides on the defensive end. Quinn Hughes, I kind of agree, and we've seen him exposed yeah. badly in this series. Cannot defend in his own end.
0: Yeah, and, you know, look, and that's I mean, been a problem. I mean, that's been a problem for him before. This just yep. People wanted to overlook it all uh, just because he's in Canada.
1: I'm hearing less chatter of the uh, Vancouver as the cup favorite and Quinn Hughes is the best young defenseman or the best defenseman in the NHL. I'm, I'm hearing less of that now that Vegas is completely running over them. But uh, look, Quinn Hughes is still a very good young defenseman. I assume he will get better defensively, but the playoffs expose any holes in your game. And, you know, especially for those three, they're all still playing in the playoffs. So it's like, now we're getting deeper. They're all getting invaluable experience, but we're also seeing a guy like Heishkinen anytime Anytime you see an opposing player come down the ice with the puck and Heiskanen's between him and the net, you just kind of figure like, okay, he's got this.
0: And that's, that's got
1: to be the best feeling as a teammate when you look over and see, okay, Heiskanen, yeah, never mind. <laughs> we'll get the puck. Nobody's getting a good shot. That's, that does so much for your team. I'm not saying he's the only reason Dallas is winning because Dennis Karyanov has like 148 goals right now. But, uh, you know, if Dallas won the cup, which I really don't want to see, Heiskine would have to be on a very short list of Conn Smythe contenders, wouldn't he?
2: No question. No qu- what does he have? Like, does he have like 14 assists in the postseason from, from defense? It's insane. Um, and by the way, on, on, on the note of Quinn Hughes, and, and I hate this stat mostly, this is, plus minus is only a stat that you should use when it's extreme. He's minus seven in this series. Yeah. That's, that's telling.
1: He's just – he's a very good young player. He was only drafted three years ago. But they just – and I, I don't even think it's necessarily a Canada thing so much as a Vancouver, more so than like Calgary or Edmonton or certainly Ottawa. And even to a certain extent, Toronto is so self-loathing if anything goes wrong. But Vancouver just decided, hey, we got this guy. He's a really good young player, so he's the best. Not so fast. Not uh, He's definitely third out of those three. I mean, I, like you said, Craig, I think yeah, most different. scouts would agree it's
2: Heischkinen. But McCarr is pretty clearly second. Yeah, and he should win, he should win the Calder. If he doesn't, I'll be surprised.
1: Yes. Uh, Anything else on this Colorado series that we want to hit before we go, they're going to play again uh, tomorrow. So we should also mention Islanders and Flyers have gone to overtime and I'm attempting to put a small screen in the corner of this screen. So I may be distracted while you guys are talking more so even than usual. Um, But the Islanders coming back with two goals in the final five minutes now trying to eliminate Philadelphia in overtime. So again, I guess let's hold off on that one in case somebody wins that game and let's go to Vegas and Vancouver. Game five is tonight as we're recording this. Uh, and Craig's first in all caps, his first um, topic in the notes. Why isn't Vancouver winning the Cup?
2: Well, they're not as good as these other teams.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I don't know you, and you saw this coming with St. Louis before I did. You you thought St. Louis was ready for a fall, and St. Louis was not very impressive in the bubble. Uh, maybe, maybe Vancouver got a good draw. I, I, look, I, I still think there's some good talent on this team, and, and I don't mean to to bag on Quinn Hughes. He's an exceptional player offensively, but. He has some major holes on the other side of that game, uh, his game. And some of the the flaws that we talked about with Vancouver before the postseason even started are showing up now. Their lack of depth, their lack of ability to defend in their own end. And really, it, it's, it's funny hearing some of the people talk about how they're playing fast. This is not a fast team either. This is not one of the faster teams oh. in the league. All of those things are showing up in this series against Vegas
0: they're they're a solid team they're ascending but they don't have the depth of a of a true you know conference finalist they don't have the the, the defense of the, a true conference finalist they can probably get there they're they're on the positive swing of their progression curve but uh, it's this is kind of where it's peaked for them, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like not every team is ready to win the cup right away. They're not a team that is as comprised at the moment. Without getting extremely hot and getting extremely lucky, as a team that's going to win the cup. But I think they did show plenty of progress this year. Bo Horvat's been sensational mm-hmm. uh, in the postseason. Le- lead, leads the league in goals uh, in this postseason. So. I think all of, you you're going to have again him progress another year. You're going to have Pedersen progress another year. You're going to have Quinn Hughes. That especially if you can shore up some of the defensive areas of his game. This is a team on the rise, but they need to fill in the other parts of their roster, particularly on their blue line. If this is going to be a team that's going to challenge the Vegases of the world and the Colorados of the world next year, as to, to be the team that comes out of the West.
2: And on the flip side of that, I, I mean, they do have some key pieces, right? They they've got a franchise center. That's yes. such a huge yes. piece to put in. They've got a power play quarterback. Quinn Hughes is remarkable in, the, in those situations. So they've got some really good pieces. And then you have a guy like Bo Horvat really coming into his own. You can build on that. There are really good building blocks for Vancouver, but yes, there are some big holes that they still need to fill.
1: Patterson is, is so fun to watch. Oh, and yeah. I, I, you know, much like, I don't know, you see this in the playoffs and you see a team that looks overmatched and they do really look overmatched by Vegas, but you know, I wonder if we're going to look back and see Vegas sort of steamroll right to the cup. I mean, Vegas to me looks like the most complete team, and I don't know. Vegas-Tampa Bay final is is going to it's going to give us the best hockey if we get there. And Now, there's no guarantees. You know, I don't know what to make of Dallas, and I certainly think if Colorado if they come back and win that series, they could really uh, they're going to be riding pretty good momentum. Although I don't know if they'll have a goalie for for the next round. But um, Vegas yeah. right now, just and Craig and I talked about it last week with uh, with replacement jamie matt Lehman. you know that team it's not like they ever had a number one pick i mean they've only been around for a couple of years there's not any bad players on that team there's not even really very many average they're just all good there's nobody great on vegas it's just every single player is is good to really good and yeah you can thank florida for whatever they were doing giving up marches so and riley smith and in uh, Minnesota for giving up Alex Tuck and you know some of the other teams, but Minnesota Columbus, and Florida yeah. were the most egregious. Yeah. Columbus yeah. Columbus at least was in a tough position with the way their their uh, their contracts were set up where they kind of knew they were gonna have to give up a guy like Carlson. But man, <laughs> Minnesota and Florida should get their names on the cup if Vegas wins this <laughs> year.
0: And and I think that's something that, that can't be lost on us when we look at Vegas, because we've almost become accustomed to them just because they've always been good, so that they always have been good the difficulty to do what that organization has done and has been able to sustain literally out of thin air is yep. remar- It's one of the most remarkable builds in professional sports history. And I don't think we fully appreciate that all the time. I think we, we've almost become spoiled by, oh, yeah, it's Vegas. I mean, we're, we're picking an expansion team to, to win the cup going into, what, their third year, fourth year uh, at the beginning third. of the year. So it's, it's remarkable. that there, there hasn't been a lull. And and the team continues to build. It continues to build all facets of their game up front on the blue line. Now they have two goaltenders that they really like that are both playing well in this postseason. It's really just remarkable the job that they have done from top to bottom, from literally the jump. Yeah, you saw uh, Mark
2: Stone say the other day that Shea Theodore is obviously turning into a Norris-caliber defenseman, so that's that's a really good <laughs> addition for the team. But the other thing, and I saw this raised recently, when you look at the situation that many NHL teams are going to be in this offseason because of a flat cap, everybody's got bad contracts, almost everybody. Vegas doesn't have any of that. They don't have any of the, that situation because they haven't been around long enough to have that sort of stuff. So they might... They might even be in a better position next season than a bunch of teams. It's crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, and if you want to expand that further to the, uh, the, the Seattle team when they come in, I mean, that flat cap – I don't think we're going to see Seattle take off the way Vegas did because, you know, make the cup the first year. The only reason that they didn't go on a deep run last year was because of that five-minute penalty against the uh, yeah, Sharks they, in the first they, round. They beat
0: the Sharks in that series. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. You know history will look that way. They beat the Sharks in that series. Like, that That was ridiculous. <laughs> I agree with you, but I especially like when Jamie doesn't acknowledge history the way it plays when, <laughs> when they literally change the rule because they screwed you up so bad, like, I, yeah, no. But, yeah, was, like, they, they've just ridiculous it was New Orleans I don't know States, why I'm out so that. I don't care but I just make... well no it but, make I mean it, it
1: does sort of reinforce I mean this is the if they go to the cup this year this could be the third straight year they were a cup caliber team even you know they are they've been a cup caliber yeah. team all three years that the year they made the cup their first year was actually probably their worst team and I, I you know we have the – what was the quote from Pete DeBoer talking about the defense where he said, quote, we have more depth up and down our lineup. I knew it would eventually pay off. And we saw it in the third period of the second half of that back-to-back against Vancouver. I know a lot of Vancouver fans are up in arms about that, but he's 100% right. right. It's not yep. even close.
2: Yep, that's absolutely true. By the way, this this Islanders-Flyers game is just firewagon hockey right now. It's crazy the amount of high-quality chances that have come in the first five minutes of this overtime. Oh, there's
1: a really good one for the Islanders. They almost just put it away right there. Yeah. I think Craig. Might be they've like had 30. like three of those. <laughs> it's very distracting. I'm going to minimize it again, but uh, anything else <laughs> on this Vegas Vegas to me. And it's funny because they don't have a Nathan McKinnon or they don't have a Nikita Kucherov, um, but they've been, they've been really smart with the trades they have made. They don't have any, they don't really have much of a prospect pool, but we talked about this a year or two ago you know, it's sort of a different way to build a team because they were so good so quickly. They've kind of treated the rest of the league like their farm system. And so guys like Nick Suzuki get traded away, but you end up with guys like Max Pacioretty and he's played a huge role for them this season. He's had a renaissance season for them.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there are a bunch of Coyotes fans who have asked, why can't we be like Vegas? Why can't we be like the Islanders? Well, Vegas is a. Vegas is an entirely different set of circumstances than anybody else. So that's really not a good comparison. We've, we've just talked about a bunch of these reasons. But when, when you look at the Islanders, somebody actually asked me, okay, New York doesn't have a, a franchise center either. Well, they Devatable. got Matthew Barzell, who is really yeah. good. Yeah. And they got J.P. Pajot, who's, who's been fantastic too. So they have two really good centers. I, I would say, yeah, you're right. They don't have a franchise center. But I think Matthew Barzal is at least 1A, and then Pajot is is right there, too. They have very good play up the middle of the ice.
0: Yeah, and look, Vegas is solid up the ice entirely. Like, which center group would you rather have of those three? Like, Coyotes are third out of that list.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, the thing I guess I would understand is if you are – we'll get to the Coyotes. I mean, if they really are going to try and rebuild. I think for any team that's trying to rebuild, that's not going to get the benefit of a top one or two or three pick. Vegas or the Islanders, maybe more realistically, is the model to follow. But again, you got to have Barry Trotz if you're the Islanders. And Matthew <laughs> Barzal, another guy out of that 2015 draft. I don't remember yeah. what we set the over-under on in terms of Hall of Famers coming out of that draft, and I'm not putting Barzal in the Hall of Fame yet, but it's a pretty good draft. He was, what, like 15th, 16th, 17th yeah. in that draft? I mean, it's when you have a piece like that or you know, when, when there's just no weaknesses on your team like Vegas – yeah, that's what you want to aspire to do if you, if you don't get the benefit of an Austin Matthews or a Nathan McKinnon or a Connor McDavid, but good luck doing it.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but you're absolutely right. They have to find those guys later in the draft, and their entire history has been a failure to do so.
1: Let me ask you this year before we move on. Who's Vegas goalie for uh, the 2020-2021 <laughs> season? It's a really good question, isn't it? Yeah,
2: I stole I it from your notes. I don't know what they're going to do. I, what do you do? I mean, do you keep Leonard? Do you re-sign him? And does that does that anger Marc-Andre Fleury or more accurately, Alan Walsh? So we'll see more <laughs> memes. I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough situation because Marc-Andre Fleury is synonymous with that, that franchise. And I know, look, it's only three years old. So it's not like, oh, he's been there for 10 years. How could you do this to Marc-Andre Fleury? But he's a pretty big piece of their history. So that'll be an interesting one to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to depend. on, I mean, are you going to give Laner a multi-year deal? Because uh, I don't think he's signing another one-year deal. Like he, I think he he hit that proven season this year and, and damn well proved it. So, uh, I, I don't in Chicago, no less. Yes, <laughs> my guess is because of the contract situation, it's going to be flurry. Uh, because of that that it's I don't see a team making a move for him uh, right out of the gate. But look, the reality is that the art and that I mean, you guys probably know more than I do is Vegas exempt from the upcoming uh, expansion draft. No, I think they, they have or to leave not. somebody out there. Yeah, they do that. They, yeah. They've been in long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then because, so then do, are you signing a goalie to basically potentially lose them in a year? So I mean, that, that that's the other, that's the other scenario. Mm-hmm. If you sign Lainer to a multi-year deal, because then at that point you're going to have to expose one of those two goalies. And again, depending on, I like think I'm, I'm looking around the league, it's, you know, depending on what the Coyotes end up doing with Ronta, depending on certain other situations, that might be the best goaltender available for Seattle.
1: Yeah. You know, if you're if you're flurry, and let's just, let's play this out, and let's say Vegas does win the Cup this year with Leonard as the starter, and you are flurry, you have four Stanley Cup rings at that point, and you've been a major part of all four of those teams, but you were only the starter in the Stanley Cup for one of them, right? Am I, am I forgetting something? Murray was in net for... The uh, the series against San Jose and Nashville, and then yeah. if Lehner was in net here for this uh, this upcoming Cup, I mean, what a st- what a just a very unique career. I mean, on top of yes. the fact that he is the face of an expansion team in Vegas, uh, but yeah, to have four it could be taken by two expansion teams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then he has to leave Seattle to the Um uh, match <laughs> as well. Um, looks like the Islanders are taking a penalty here in overtime. Yes, so they are. We're going to have to talk about this series. <laughs> so I guess let's get to it now instead of doing a nineteen-hour podcast. Islanders Flyers coming into this game, 16 different Islanders have points in this series. This is only game five tonight, just like the last round. Um, we've talked a little bit about Barzal and, and Pajot, but um, this team, how, is it just all trots and, and everybody buying in? I mean, this is the sort of team that we heard coming out of the break was supposed to struggle, right? Because it's going to take a little bit of time to get everybody back on the same page. Right. They, they are boring, but at this point, they're kind of fun to watch simply because they have the puck 100% of the time.
2: They really do that. And that's a big part of it, right? Possession is such a huge part of this game. Obviously It, it always has been, but there's been a focus on it the last 10 years, but what is it about this coach? How has he gotten this done in three different places what is, it? I mean, when you look at the guy, I think I said this on the last podcast, Barry Trotz looks like a mob boss when you look at him and then you talk to him and you're like, oh my God, he's he's like my uncle. He's the nicest guy in the world. What does he say to all of these teams to get them to buy in completely? And why can't other coaches do this too? It's a great point. You know, I think it may be his
1: most impressive um, example of doing that is getting Washington to buy in because now you know he goes to the Islanders. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, remember me? I just won a cup with Washington. You know, two years ago. So do what I say, and you're gonna you're gonna overachieve." But when you go to Washington, and and the knock on Ovechkin is always, "Oh, he doesn't he doesn't backcheck. He doesn't play any defense. He just stands there and waits for shots." I mean, you got a Ovechkin to buy in. It's not to take away from the players, although I'd love to with Washington. But that team wasn't winning cups until Barry Trotz got him over the top, and not to pour salt in the wound.
2: Cup, cup, singular. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, yeah.
1: cup, but uh, but not to pour salt in the wound. But they're not winning them anymore, and they just had to switch coaches because they didn't keep Barry Trotz.
2: Yeah, that just an awful move, just a, a dumbfounding move. Yeah,
1: um, as far as Philadelphia, what Drew has a golden night, right? It's like his yes. first
2: playoff, first of goal. the postseason. Seriously, first of the postseason, <laughs> yeah.
1: and I believe his second in his like his last twenty five playoff games or something.
2: Yeah. And I, but it's funny. I had that in the notes that he, he's no longer the greatest player in the league. We we've yeah. talked about this on the podcast. Fairly. And I also talked about how awful Matt Niskin has been in this series. And of course he scored a goal in this, in this game. So well, maybe I'm going to stop just, talking now.
1: Yeah. 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 start talking about whatever Islander hasn't scored yet because I don't Which know really who that is.
2: What is Casey <laughs> Sadiq has
1: <gets> done anyway? <laughs> well, hopefully he scored here in overtime. They are killing <laughs> off. They are trying to kill off a penalty right now in the first overtime. Um, You know, Philadelphia is – I don't want to rule them out because they're obviously still in the series. But you watch them play, and I think I made this comment to you, Craig, last week before the series even started. Even against Montreal, it felt like – you know how you watch some games and it's like, okay, I'm really just watching this one team and the other team's in the background? Philadelphia won the series against Montreal, but it just felt like they were the background team. Like you're watching a sports movie, and they're sort of the unnamed team. The main team is playing. I don't know why they're so anonymous with the pieces they have. They're in the second round of the playoffs, and they're still alive, so I I can't take that much away from them, but they're just so
0: blah.
2: Yeah, I I mean, we we remember how hot this team was, too, at the end of the season, and even then, I didn't believe in it. I I do believe Alain Vigneault is a great coach, and I think he's gotten the most out of this team, but it just – I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. They, they don't, I never believed even though Ken Campbell was picking them to win the cup. Uh, I, I just never saw it. I never saw this team being a legitimate contender.
1: Wow. Just because Ken Campbell said something doesn't mean it came true. That's shocking. Um, all right, well, let's leave this series. Maybe we'll come back with a, an update if it wraps up or before we uh, finish this show. Let's go to the Coyotes. Do you want to do this with the listener questions and then whatever's left over? If we didn't get to any sure. kind of those topics, we'll hit those. Okay, let's, uh, let's hit listener questions and let's start with Murdoch. Which one of you three would be the best NHL GM? Oh my God,
0: it'd be a disaster. It'd be a disaster. it disaster for everybody involved. Yes. Um, I feel like Craig knows enough people that maybe he'd be the best. So I could just lean, lean on a bunch of people. Look, I have yeah. no idea
2: what I'm doing. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, so, exactly. That would be if kind you, of my approach.
1: If if you end up in a major leadership position, you don't know what you're doing. You should lean on the people around you who do know what they're doing. So that would be a revolutionary move by you, Craig. Yeah. This is going to pain me to say. I think Jamie would actually be a decent GM. And why is that? I don't know. I just I feel like he's he would take a very. I, I've I've played fantasy sports with Jamie before. He's just a very uh, analytical guy when he's not talking on this podcast. And I also feel like he's cold <laughs> and calculating and ruthless and doesn't care about anybody's feelings. Now well, that that's a certain point yeah. you need that as a GM, right? You have yeah, to. You oh yeah. It's the Lou nice Amorello line, right? Don't yeah, fall yeah. in
2: love with your players. <laughs> so now in case somebody, somebody got to dump up in the river. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's my answer. Um, because okay. nobody came to my defense. I thought we were all going to just say nice things about each other. Right, well, you
0: know,
2: Jamie never uh, – He gave, I guess I should say who I uh, – yeah. No, I, it, it's all, not – I think we'd all be awful. Sorry. <laughs> yes, we'd all be bad. <laughs> it would be a great job,
1: though. I'd much rather uh, – would you rather be a GM or a coach? I'd much rather be a GM than an owner.
0: GM. Yeah, yeah GM. I
1: kind of think I would, too. I, I do feel like I could do a better job than some of the guys in the NHL, if that says anything. Um, dangle, snipe, belly even with the changes expected to be coming to the coyotes should we expect to be well better than the dark 70 point seasons just lie to me Daniel snipelli has got three questions that's the first one so let me let me start by saying this cuz obviously you know they, the coyotes have some issues now going forward we don't know what this team's going to look like at the start of next season but the way it is currently constructed if the season started tomorrow not having the draft picks this off season and next off season that's going to hurt them down the line If the season started tomorrow, I would still expect this to be a borderline playoff team. You haven't lost Darcy Kemper or your pieces yet. You lose Taylor Hall, obviously, that's going to change things. But remember, Kemper only played about half of this season because of that injury. So to me, the issues are two or three years down the line, not necessarily next season.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And that's I mean, draft capital is so important, especially when you need to fill in key pieces. They're just not going to be there now. They may try to do that. I don't know that you're going to get you're, – you're certainly not going to get a high first-round pick for any of the pieces that you're moving. Well, I, I shouldn't even say that. I mean, if you're moving Kemper or OEL, maybe you can get a pretty good pick. Um, but I, I just see so many important holes on this franchise, the same ones that we've talked about for so long. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would think if I were a GM coming in here. At, at, on, on the one hand, you can say, okay, there's some nice young pieces – And if those prospects pan out, particularly Barrett Hayton, maybe we'll be okay. On the flip side, do you, do you get to the point where you say we can be a contender? I don't get there. Even if those guys pan out, I don't get to that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we saw it in, in this year's playoffs and, you know, with the, the chaos around the GM position and everything now, and just, just the unknown. I mean, they may go out there and get a really good GM here. They're the only team, one of the very few teams, I guess I should say, looking for a GM at the moment. So you know, in that sense, you can sort of take your pick in theory of the guys that are available. But, you know, it, to me, like I said, I think they—they they, if the season starts tomorrow, they would be a fringe playoff team. But there are sure. clearly changes that need to be made to be able to beat a team like Colorado or Dallas or mm-hmm. Vegas. Or, you know, there's other teams coming up, too. It's not like all the teams behind them in the standings are, are just not getting better. So. You have to get that number one center at some point. If we're going to see, and I will say this, and I know we'll talk about it a lot in the offseason, if we're really going to see a big trade that involves a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson or a guy like Darcy Kemper, who might be the best goal in the NHL, if we really get to that point, you better find a way to get at least a center that is the clear number one on your team. And I don't know how you do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's the only way you can make a move like that. You you don't have any margin for error at that point. You're especially, particularly with Darcy Camp, even though Ekman Larson is probably the biggest trade chip in terms of what you could get reward-wise, your only major advantage right now over the rest of the league is your goaltending situation. And if you move on from that, you better make damn sure you're getting significantly better and that it's proven and it's not a we hope to get better. We hope this guy develops into you have to get a, a I mean, you can never get a short thing necessarily, but as close to a short thing as possible. And look, the, the, the issues that have played this team for ever continue to, to play the team. As, I, I agree with you, Luke, that as it stands now, they're still probably a, a wild-card contender. That that's They can do that with the guys they have without having them make huge strides forward. But if you're going to be anything more than that or anything more than maybe you went around, I just don't see it with this team without particularly guys like Keller and Schmaltz and Dvorak taking significant steps forward with the rest of the team not dropping off, like I still feel like this team has doesn't have the pieces to be anything more than a fringe playoff team.
1: They were basically on an 87 point pace this season if they played the full 82 games. And when you consider they added Taylor Hall, but they lost Archie Kemp for, for a good half of that season, you know. But also, Kemper played out of his mind when he did play. You have to factor in that maybe he comes back to earth a little bit. He can still be mm-hmm. one of the best goalies and come back, or maybe he's not here. I, I just. If the original question was, are we, are we going to be going back to the dark 70-point days? No. This, depending how many changes you make, but as it's currently constructed, and Philadelphia just won, so I just want to go cry. Um, the, uh, this team right now is still a fringe playoff team, but you've got, you now have a major, major problem you have to address big picture with those draft picks.
2: Yeah and uh, again we it, it, there's so much speculation right now it's it's impossible to say what's going to happen until a new GM comes in look what's happening with the coyotes right now everybody has seen the cuts that they're making left and right they're 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 slashing the heck out of that organization right now and if you read the uh, piece that Greg Wachinski and Emily Kaplan wrote today on what NHL execs are thinking about what's coming with covid they're, they're forecasting very bad things. So it puts this in perspective a little bit, what, what's going on right now. So do the Coyotes want to, uh, is, is ownership in fact thinking, we need to cut the heck out of this team? Do we, we need to gut it to try and survive financially? If that's the case, then you have to look at moving some of those pieces, those key pieces, because the guys going into the final years of their contracts, those veterans that we've talked about so often, they're not going to bring you much. Even a guy yeah. like Nick Chalmerson is not going to bring much in return. If you are in fact committing to three and four years down the road, yes, you have to think about moving OEL. You have to move Darcy Kemper because you need to get some serious draft capital and some prospects back in return. If you're, if you're looking three or four years down the road, because none of those veterans are going to be here to do anything about it at that point.
0: Yeah. Just put you in a weird spot. By the way, Flyers win in yep. done. but um
1: Usual the problem James one minute
0: behind me. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I saw before. I didn't want to interrupt Craig. Oh, um, I did. Um, but the the issue they have there is you've, you've signed some guys already to these long-term deals, Keller, Dvorak, Schmaltz, Chikrin. I, you, it's tough to go into full rebuild mode because you have those players that aren't going to be, the same, at least probably not going to be the same level four years from now that they are now. Those guys are also not particularly movable, aside from Chikrin, which I don't think you want to do. They're not really movable on the numbers of their current contracts, especially given the way the cap is going. Um, they're, in, they're in an unenviable spot right now, unless they get lucky with somebody. Does, does, does Barrett Hayton have become, you know, Bo Horvat? You know, that's the comp I made way back when. Does 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 somebody do they get that sort of progression from somebody that is able to take them over the top on top of Schmalt staying healthy and playing up to his full potential, on top of Dvorak staying healthy playing like he has recently. Like you need a lot of those things to happen all at the same time if this team is going to take a step beyond just being, hey, we're glad to make the playoffs.
2: Yeah. And I think another thing that 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 I they're finally going to address this team needs to get bigger this needs this team yeah. needs size and muscle they don't have enough of it they are too small and i think that's going to be an emphasis as well
1: that that was my my worry with this team for a while you know it, it's it's tough to look at this situation now because the way they were building it you know, a lot has changed in the last few months. Obviously, a global pandemic. You didn't foresee that, and, and all the implications that, as you're saying, Craig, that could have on 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 all the or a lot of the teams. You didn't expect your GM to not be here. Whatever the the real story is behind that, whatever however that played out. But you know, even even if you're just progressing year by year and you just made the playoffs, now you're looking towards next year. You're not making wholesale changes. You don't have to cut costs. They still weren't big enough to hang with a a team like Dallas or Calgary or Vegas and a, or Colorado. Obviously, even in a best-of-seven series. And that was a quiet fear I think a lot of us had, you know, even last year and and most of this regular season. The actual Stanley Cup playoffs are a war of attrition, and the Coyotes are definitely on the smaller side of any playoff-contending team in the NHL. Uh, More from Dangle Snipe Belly. Does Luke get any solace from Philly, eliminating the Habs, or just more pain? Uh, More pain. I would have much rather Montreal won that series.
0: And an update on Jamie's condiment bets. Jamie. The condiment. It was that the, um, the Sabres one. Cause I won that with somebody else. I brought it up on the show way back when that it was something like if the Sabres made the playoffs or something that uh, I would have to go to Vegas and get like condiments uh, splattered upon me. Yes. So obviously we're not allowed to talk or see anybody ever again. So that <laughs> hasn't been done yet, but uh, I do remember, I do remember that bet. And I do remember always. Ne- I never regret betting against the Buffalo Sabres.
1: Um, okay. We got to run through some of these because we're going to cut off here shortly. Coyote and Philly, will Shane Doan rejoin the organization? And if so, in what role?
2: I don't know. I don't get the sense that he's in the running for this current position. Um, I think he still has the possibility of joining the the organization, maybe as an advisor in hockey ops or something like that, but I don't get the sense that he's a candidate for the GM spot. Uh,
1: Coach East Jack, if, would you prefer the Coyotes acquire Brock Besser versus Johnny Gaudreau? Uh, either. I would take either.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, but i take Brock Besser, actually. I would take Besser, too, yeah. Yes. Um
1: Yeah. I mean, again, not a knock on Johnny Gaudreau, who was a hard Trophy candidate but uh, a couple years ago. But they need – Coyotes, in particular, need more size. Um, Seth, what happens first? Max Domi comes back to Arizona, because why would he? Or Arizona gets a true number one center. Well – Omi's not coming back to Arizona, so I guess my answer is number one center.
0: I mean, eventually, right? If you play enough seasons, (laughs) it's Sunday. Uh, Pained
1: Coyotes fan, what are your thoughts on having this year be a retooling year versus a rebuild
2: year? It's complicated. Yeah, man, we just talked about that a lot. Go ahead, Jamie.
0: It it would be ideal. The problem is, is when you're having a retooling year, that means you have confidence in enough handful of pieces on your roster to make an immediate turnaround that you're going to be a significantly better team in a couple of years based on some small to moderate roster changes. I think to get this team to a multiple series playoff victories is going to need more than minor changes, at least as it current states. Now, ask in a year, and let's see what another year of Keller, Schmaltz, Dvorak, Chickering and company look like maybe then they can do that then and that's that would be the hope but i think if you're trying to retool this team to being a cup contender it's going to take a luck and it's going to take a few years and it's only going to be made more difficult that's already brought up the fact that you don't have a first round pick and you know for like 18 years now
1: uh, a couple more of these since we're running out of time booper what move could the coyotes make that would surprise you all are there any moves they should 100 percent make
2: honestly at this point nothing would surprise me given the the direction of this club and how they're cutting i, I yeah like nothing will surprise me we just talked about moving oel and darcy kepper is there anything more surprising than that
0: uh, no Kemper's surprising i, 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 mean, I think you we're
1: move, at the go ahead. But, well i was just gonna say if you move like clayton keller that would surprise me for a few different reasons
0: that somebody would have traded for in that contract. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're dealing with a completely different regime from top to bottom at this point, aside from the head coach right now. So whatever way, whatever we thought we thought, whatever we think we thought, whatever they thought that we think that we thought, Jamie, just you're hurting, you're hurting my head. <laughs> Let's ask another question.
1: <laughs> uh, um, Kevin, now that Darren Ferris is Max Domi's agent, which Swiss team is Domi going to play for next season when he doesn't get a Mitch Marner contract? I just read that for Craig. Okay. Yeah. Um, here, let's close with this one because we have to, we need to talk about this anyway. Um, it's from Domsky. Top three GM candidates for the Coyotes GM job. And I'm sorry I didn't get the rest of the questions, but uh, it's not my fault.
2: I'm glad you brought this up because it is wild to watch the parade of NHL recommended GM candidates go through the interviewing process with every team. We hear the same names get recycled and it's, it's almost like these courtesy interviews. You get like 10 names that you know are not getting the job. They get marched through. It's a bizarre process to watch. And the Coyotes are dealing with that like everybody else. But if I'm talking about serious candidates for this job, I mean, I've already put the names out there. I think Ron Hextall should be a serious candidate for this job. I think Ray Shiro should get some talk, and I haven't heard anything yet that they're actually going to be considering him. I think Sean Burke should get a look for this job. Those are some of the names out there that I think should get serious looks for the job.
1: Yeah, we've talked about I would love it if they got Ray Shiro. Not to say those other candidates aren't aren't good. I mean, there's (laughs) –
2: Please tell me Peter Chiarelli is not, uh, not, is not. in the top three. Okay. I have Thank been you. told that he is not even a candidate for the job.
1: I wonder why. Um, but, <laughs> but certainly certainly Ray Shiro would be, of the names we've heard, my first pick, with the caveat that I want Shane Doan involved in the organization. But we've seen Ray Shiro, I think, build the cup winners in Pittsburgh, and we've also seen him help a rebuild in New Jersey in fact, ideally, you'd get Ray Shiro, and then Peter Shirelli would go somewhere else, so you could rip off Shirelli in a couple of years and get a, a couple of key pieces. Um, we've alluded to this. Let's let's close with this. We only got a couple of minutes left. As far as the sanctions that came down from the NHL on the Coyotes, we've talked about how they don't have a lot of picks now. All of a sudden, in the next two years, I'll let you guys go with this. But uh, I was surprised. That's a lot more than the Houston Astros got for blatantly cheating in games to win a World Series. And it's a lot more than the new England Patriots got over 15 years of suspicious behavior. I didn't expect them to lose a first
2: and a second round pick. I'll let Jamie go first for the multi-sport comparison.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, there, there is, this is a fairly, uh, unprecedented level, um, for something that doesn't involve cheating or a scandal in season, in game. Uh, this is obviously a, a an off the ice draft workout related. Um, you know, I don't know for sure, and it's all, it's all speculation. My guess would be that there might have been some apprehension to find uh, a brand-new owner in this environment who was not around when these transgressions took place. Um, I, I think if this were different circumstances, if this was old ownership, we weren't dealing with uh, post-COVID economic concerns for the league, that that there would have been a heavy fine levied. But I think that given the the players in this scenario, that they figured out that – that it might that might not make a ton of sense, and at that point, the only other thing you can do is take away draft compensation, and they took away a lot of draft compensation. And this is one of those ones where, you know, you wish that you could fight this one back a little bit further if you're if you're a Coyotes fan or in the organization, but. If it come, came down to the choice of finding an owner millions of dollars that wasn't around for this when they're dealing with economic issues and you're just happy somebody owns the team versus giving up draft capital, I can understand why that decision was made.
2: Yeah, and I do think that played a major role here. But also the the, the penalty of two high draft picks, uh, the Coyotes were surprised by this, by the severity of this. I think a lot of people were surprised by the severity of this, including some executives around the league that I spoke to, that's a, that's a major penalty for the Coyotes that's going to impact them for several years. And there's a lot of value, obviously, in those draft picks. Look, something went wrong here. They, they obviously did something wrong. You saw Gary Bettman's wording that it was sort of gross negligence, but probably not willful, just more like cluelessness, not knowing the rules. And we talked about this way back. I, I had some executives say, look, if you're not sure about something, just make a call. The league is there to service you. They should have done that. They blew that. But should they have been penalized, these two high draft picks? You, you're talking about a franchise that Gary Bettman really wants to survive in the desert. He's worked very hard to make it happen, and yet he just hammered them. I really think that the attitudes of other teams and how, how loudly they were howling about this played a role in how the Coyotes got punished here. Nobody's going to make this mistake again, but the Coyotes got the hammer dropped on them.
1: Yeah, they really did. I would have thought, like, even if it had been just a third-round pick one year, I would have been like, oh, okay, that's more than I expected, but here we are. All right, gentlemen, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Vegas and Vancouver starting up. Thanks to uh, Jamie Eisner. For Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Trick Podcast.